is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Man, oh man, am I loaded today. I don't mean loaded like, you know, Chris Matthews. I mean loaded for bear, ladies and gentlemen. I think even Kanye West would like what I'm about to say. I am Mark Levin, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In fact, here's, here's my goal today, to persuade Kanye of my position so he'll repeat it, and then it'll spread throughout talk radio like nothing you've ever seen before. Website to website to website. All the Fox channels. I think he's been a very brave guy. I really do. All right. Here's the deal. You heard that Mr. Mueller, I'm following up on yesterday, but I'm ready for bear, that Mr. Mueller has been threatening to subpoena the President of the United States. And the usual legal claptrappers are bound by their own limited understanding of the Constitution. Yes, Constitution man is here. Now, all it takes is actual research, a little bit of time, a little bit of thought, and listening to me. I brought this up a year ago. I brought it up on Hannity's show two weeks ago. I brought it up on this show two weeks ago. I'm going to bring it up again, and we're going to do it in more detail. So slow listeners can pick it up. It's very, very important. We have a rogue prosecutor who is pushing the limits of the Constitution like no prosecutor in modern American history. Not on Watergate. Not on Iran-Contra. Not even in Clinton Genitalia-Gate. And Mr. Mueller has demonstrated, as has his team of Democrat prosecutors, that they are risk-averse, that they are unhinged. They do not stand for the Constitution. They're like mob lawyers. They just want to notch up victories. And the greatest victory they can notch in their entire careers would be to take out a sitting president. By hook or by crook, by smear, by false charges, by whatever the case. Now, I really want you to stick with me today. I'm going to have my buddy, Andy McCarthy. He's been my buddy for a few decades now, former prosecutor from the Southern District of New York. He's a serious thinker about what he wrote today. And I want to talk about what I've written today, and I also want to talk about what the Justice Department has written in the past in some detail, because it's finally being picked up by members of the president's legal team. It's finally being picked up by some of the conga line lawyers, some, but not enough, but will continue to press on cable TV. And I want it to be picked up by congressional Republicans, too. And I wish, earnestly, that colleagues in this business would put aside their own little floibles and embrace it too. This needs to be a team effort now. 
a team effort now. Just settle down a little bit on Kanye, settle down a little bit on the websites, and begin to think for themselves and comprehend what's actually taking place in this country. This morning I posted on Facebook, rather than try to pass legislation to protect special counsel Mueller, the Republican Congress should subpoena Mueller and demand that he answer legitimate questions about the course of his investigation, especially given its now constitutional impact. Congress need not wait for Mueller to issue his pronouncements. Surely Mueller cannot be a power unto himself, immune from legislative oversight while disrupting and threatening a presidency. Indeed, Congress has a more legitimate constitutional authority, if not duty, to inquire now into Mueller's investigation, given its lurch into constitutional areas and threats of obstruction against a sitting president, than Mueller does to question the president about his presidential functions. Moreover, Mueller must be asked on what legal basis he apparently disclaims the unaltered official Department of Justice policy and position asserted in two long-established opinions that a sitting president cannot be indicted. He must also be asked on what authority he can abandon Department of Justice policy, which he is compelled to comply with as a condition of his appointment. Now that Mueller has turned his collusion investigation into a potential constitutional crisis, He doesn't have exclusive authority to call the shots. And the Republican Congress need not wait for his anticipated impeachment report, a political gift to salivating Democrats who've pushed for this from the start. That was my post this morning that millions of you read that was linked by CNS News and maybe a couple of other responsible, serious websites. It is a very, very crucial point, and I want to put the marker out there right now. Now, one of the things we're going to expand on today, so you'll be more informed than anybody on radio, anybody on cable TV, anybody who pretends to be a professor or anything of the sort, or is an actual professor, is what the rules are here. Ty Cobb on ABC News Powerhouse Politics Podcast today. That's a mouthful. Never listen to the damn thing. Can a president be indicted, he's asked. This is the soon-to-be-retiring lawyer for the President of the United States, and he's bringing in another gentleman who is a real brass-knuckles guy uh, who has done a superb job in representing people in the past on constitutional matters of this magnitude or close to this magnitude, not of this magnitude. Cut seven, go. Can a president of the United States be indicted? Uh, There are two uh, Office of Legal Counsel opinions in the Department of Justice on that. One from the uh, uh, Nixon era era, and one from the Clinton era. Um, And both of those opinions say that a sitting president cannot be indicted, and that's the policy and practice of the Justice Department. All right, so I dusted off and dug up these memos over a year ago, and I've been trying 
to spread this point on TV, on radio. And it's starting to spread. Thankfully to the president's lawyers. Thankfully to even the mainstream media who are now raising the question. It is a fundamental constitutional question that was answered twice by the Department of Justice, which has never been precisely answered by the Supreme Court. But the position of Mr. Mueller's ship of state, the Department of Justice, is that he cannot be. So how can Mr. Mueller, a special counsel inferior to the Deputy Attorney General, inferior to the Attorney General of the United States, drag the department and the country into a constitutional confrontation about which he has no legitimate authority. Now, I don't care what past prosecutors have done. I don't care what past presidents have acceded to. We're going to go through the October 16th 2000 memorandum for the Attorney General of the United States at the time during the Clinton administration on whether a president can be indicted. It embraces the 1973 decision of the Nixon administration Office of Legal Counsel. These opinions have never been withdrawn. These opinions have never been amended. These opinions have never been anything but embraced. And there's reasons for this. There's reasons for this. And I want to discuss it with you at length after we talk to our great next guest, Andy McCarthy. We'll be right back. Lovin. Federal prosecutor and current guru, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Good, good. I I want to dig in on your your article today in the areas where we largely agree. And the premise of your piece here is: Look, I've looked at these 49 subject areas, and the Department of Justice needs to step in and stop this. Go ahead and explain what you mean. Well, I don't think, Mark, that not only should a prosecutor not be uh, permitted to subpoena a president by a court, I don't think the Justice Department should allow a president to be even asked voluntarily to submit to an interview in the absence of evidence that there's a serious crime that the president is complicit in and indication that the only way that you can get the evidence that the prosecutor can show is vital to the case is through the president. So, you, you know, mm-hmm. you'd have to be in like a uh, a Nixon tape situation where, you know, you have evidence of a crime that the president's complicit in, and the only way you can get the tapes is through, uh, through the president, through the White House. Now, let's uh, stop right and, there. So people okay. need to know the Nixon Supreme Court case. That's called, as you would call, a subpoena deuces tecum, right? Right, right. And that means that you're providing documents, you're providing evidence because you're the only one who can, but you don't have to personally appear in front of a grand jury for the purpose of taking questions. That's a whole different matter. 
That, that's correct. I mean, sometimes you uh, you issue a subpoena, do just take them under circumstances where the witness is expected both to testify and bring along tangible evidence. But and that, and that, that was not the Nixon case. That was not the Nixon case, correct. Um, but my point is the president has the most significant job, mm-hmm. uh, not just in our government, probably in the world. Uh, and a prosecutor should not be able to interfere with the president's performance of his duties, which the, the country depends on for governance, for security, for everything that we rely on a president for. A prosecutor should not be able to interfe- interfere with that because he thinks the president has information that would be relevant and interesting to his investigation. Uh, because if that's where you're going to draw the line, there's no, there's no case that you could even think of that the president might not have some relevant things to say about. Um, you get to bother a president at most when you have indication that the president is guilty of some kind of serious crime and you actually need something from the president uh, to prove the crime. I think without that, you don't even get into the ballpark. And even there, Andy McCarthy, in their own October 2000 memorandum, which has not been altered, right. even there they say, look, there's no question, I agree with this, they say president can be impeached, removed, and then prosecuted right. if the statute of limitations hasn't run. But otherwise, he can't, because the ultimate purpose of a trial is to get a conviction and to put somebody in prison. Right. And they run through that. They say, well, the president can't be put in prison. Um, a prosecutor can't have this kind of power over one branch of the government. The founders... As you know, the framers created impeachment if they want to approach it that way. That's the body politic, the elected representatives. And they go through all these explanations and so forth. So my question to you here, and you wrote a brilliant piece today. You always do, by the way. This one's particularly good. My question to you is this. I'm not aware that the Department of Justice has rejected its past position. Have you seen anything to that effect? I have not, Mark, and I, you know, I listened to your opening remarks, and I, I couldn't agree more. The, you know, I think you and I, if, if we put our minds to it, could come up with an argument. I, I've tried to, I've made this argument in the past over the years myself, uh, for the proposition that there could be a constitutional argument that you could indict a president, but the president couldn't be tried until he was out of office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could argue that back and forth. But if you're in the Justice Department, you are bound by the opinions of the Office of Legal Counsel until they, unless and until they retract them. And uh, you're you're quite right. I've, I've never heard of those opinions being retracted. So your point is, look, we can make these principled theoretical arguments, these abstract arguments, but the Justice Department can't unless it's going to cha- change um, uh, right. in reverse order the position that it's taken – what for the last half a century? Yes, and, and that, you know, look, that, that's why uh, it, it's a valuable institution. You know, like any valuable institution, there are going to be times that you disagree with your guidance. But if they have a right to put that guidance out, it's colorable, and you're part of the institution. And your place in the pecking order is to carry out what the guidance of the Justice Department was. There were a lot of cases I had. And a lot of times I was involved in cases in the Justice Department where I didn't completely agree with what we were doing. But that was beside the point. It wasn't my job 
my job was to to execute the law as it was interpreted by the Justice Department, by the Office of Legal Counsel. I'd be interested in listening to your thinking. You don't have to agree with me. I'm interested in listening to your thinking, and you know you won't if you don't. Uh, Mueller seems hell-bent on dragging this into a real constitutional confrontation. I read those 49 points, I guess, that one of Trump's lawyers, Sokolo, put together, in which he was basically writing down uh, what they got out of the meeting with Mueller. These right. are the kind of the areas that apparently they're going to cover. I found so many of them appalling, and I thought, this really steps into constitutional quicksand here when you want to know, what were you thinking when you fired this guy? What were you thinking uh, when I was hired, what were you thinking? It goes into presidential prerogatives, which, as you point out, have nothing to do with some criminal statute and so forth. So when we come back, I hope you can stay with me a few more minutes sure. after the break. I want your take on this, because it seems to me if a prosecutor, a special counsel, not even confirmed by the Senate for anything, is going to take the country in this direction, the Article One Congress has the power to say, hold on, you're going to drag this country into a constitutional matter? We want to know where you get the authority under the Constitution and under the Department of Justice memos. I'm curious about your thought in in my proposition here. We'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. So it seems to me, Andy McCarthy, that if the courts will get involved in this, and clearly they will, depending on where this goes, Congress can too. And not for the purpose of interfering with the routine or legitimate prosecutorial decisions. I would reject that. But on the contrary, uh, if a prosecutor... And, quite frankly, his boss, the Deputy Attorney General, and really, in this case, the Attorney General, uh, are going to be hands-off on this. Uh, Congress doesn't have to sit there and uh, and just watch all this take place. I mean, it is the people's body, and they do have authority under Article 1. Mark, I couldn't agree with that more. I think, you know, part of the reason that the, let's remember now, and you, you cover this uh, all the time, so I'm... Probably just repeating something you've told listeners a million times. Do it, baby. This Department of Justice is a creature of statute. It's created Mm -hmm. by Congress. It's funded by Congress. And Congress has every right in terms of its uh, normal business of checking the activity of the executive branch. Uh, It's it's uh, responsibility to make sure that the, the the governmental agencies and departments that it creates uh, operate efficiently, and how the public's money is is being spent. Uh, they have every right to uh, oversee the executive agencies in terms of uh, in terms of their performance. And if the if what has happened here is what I think has happened here, which is that the supervision of this prosecutor has broken down, uh, somebody has to be asking some hard questions, and and that somebody often is Congress. You know, you're not the typical observer. You were a United States attorney in the Southern District of New York, and you know some of these people. This must truly pull at you. This must be really shocking to you. Am I wrong? I, I find this, I've found this uh, an excruciating thing to have to uh, 
to have to cover and, and write about. Um, and what I have found most difficult about it is the, um, is the arrogance of, of, of the Justice Department officials over the last year and a half to gratuitously enmesh themselves in the politics of an election. And now it appears to me to say or to take the position in Mr. Mueller's case that his investigation so takes precedence over the president's performance of his much more important duties than a prosecutor has, that the president should stop everything he's doing to answer a bunch of questions that from what I can detect, and this is, I'm, I'm speaking as somebody who, you know, enforced the federal law for 20 years, I don't see that he's got a crime there. And I don't, uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why a prosecutor would want to waste a lot of time in a normal case investigating something that doesn't appear to be a crime. But to have the audacity to think that you should drag the president of the United States into it, and as you know, Mark, I'm not a, I'm not a Trump fanboy. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about how our, our government works. I mean, I just... Well, Andy, that's this. why when you write something or say something, you're like the old E.F. Hutton commercials. Well, I... <laughs> People want to hear what you have to say. You're not a special pleader, and you're making the case. Go ahead. Well, I, I, would, may, I would say this one other thing more, because this really sticks in my craw. Um, we're having a very interesting, abstract legal discussion which is provoked by Mueller's apparent theory that if uh, he can show that the president, even if he carried out ostensibly legal constitutional actions that are within his executive prerogative, that he, if he did it with a corrupt intent, that that might be the premise for an obstruction prosecution. And, you know, we can talk about how many angels on the head of a pin dancing uh, all night long if we want, I want to take a step back and say, what got obstructed here? The Flynn case, you know, I mean, after, after Trump, according to Comey, has this conversation about Flynn, Comey testifies that the FBI ignored what the president requested. And what we know is that Mueller investigated, prosecuted, indicted Flynn. And in connection with the Russia investigation, the, the firing of Comey had absolutely no impact on the ability of the FBI and the Justice Department to proceed with the counterintelligence investigation. So I would like somebody to explain to me, even if you think that you could could cobble together something in the way of corrupt intent, what got obstructed here? Because I don't see it. But you've also made the point that this is an impeachment investigation. So... They want to put together a report. These questions are intended to show there's no doubt about it. You know it and I know it. An overwhelming pattern of deception, of false statements, of conflicts on the most minute issues. What did you mean by that tweet, Mr. Trump? This meeting that took place on February 11th, the one on February 18th and February 20th, what are your recollections of those? Now, you know as a former prosecutor, and I know as an attorney, those are set-up questions for a president of the United States. He can't give a good answer to any of it. Right, he can't, and he also doesn't know what every other person that Mueller has spoken to who heard the president uh, 
you know, express himself over time. He doesn't know what they've told the investigation. So he's completely in the blind here. And what I would point out, Mark, I think, I think you're right about this, but Mueller is a Justice Department prosecutor. And this is why having such uh, passive leadership is such a bad thing. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for Congress if they want to retain counsel and they want to open impeachment hearings, which, you know, the Democrats may well decide they want to do if they, you know, if God forbid they win the midterms. But they're, you know, they're entitled to do that. But Mueller is not Congress's lawyer. His job is not to make an impeachment report. I mean, I, I think that's exactly what he's doing. And I've, I've said from the get-go that I think that, you know, there's a provision in grand jury law that allows him in certain types of investigations to file a report, even if he doesn't ask the grand jury to file charges. So I've thought that one way or another, this has always been about coming up with a vehicle for impeachment proceedings, which do not require the proof of a statutory crime. But the unseemly thing about this is that's not Mueller's job. He's a federal prosecutor. How, ma- how many grand Congress. jury reports did you author? None. That's my in, point. In 20 years. It's so rare that I don't even know of one. And, I, and it's not that I'm following them, but it's so rare because it's so unfair. And even the Watergate special prosecutor report, before there was an independent counsel statute, where these guys were trying to figure it out as they went along. Even they said, we will not accuse people of offenses or suggest they committed crimes in this report unless we brought charges. And that's the problem with what Mr. Mueller has in mind. Yeah, it really, you're you're quite right. I mean, this completely flouts due process. I mean, the the whole idea, Mark, I think, of of why the way the Clinton emails investigation was handled in a, in a way that was so offensive and so irregular is the government is not supposed to speak until it speaks in court and it's ready to put its money where its mouth is by charging somebody under circumstances where you have a formal accusation and that person is armed with all the due process rights that you get to, to try to fight the government's charges off. But to have these situations where you, go, you just go out and make a, uh, an allegation, and people don't have a, uh, have a real fair opportunity to defend themselves. It's just let, and let, let me just say this, too. If, if Mueller were to get away with this, and this is why I think the president has to fight this every step of the way, I don't think any future president is safe, because the entire threshold has now been changed, or will have been changed. If a controversial firing occurs... Any political party claims that there's obstruction and they put enormous pressure on the political appointees in the Department of Justice and they want to wash their hands. Off we go to the races again. No, that's exactly right. What, what gets done here, you know, I think there's a lot of law out there that they, they seem to think is just Trump law. You know, like they're making up new rules just for this particular president. But mark my words, this will not be for this particular president. This, and right. this is why I think... This is about protecting the institution, the office of the presidency. It's not about Trump. Andy McCarthy, appreciate your straight talk there, my friend. You take care of yourself. Thanks, Mark. Good to talk to you. You too. Now, we're going to continue down this path. We're going to continue down this path. I'm actually going to tell you 
what the Department of Justice has said to itself about a situation like this, what it does to the country, what it does to the Constitution, what it does to the presidency, what it does to the American people. They were specifically concerned about a prosecutor like this with no self-restraint, who's putting his myopic obsession ahead of everything else. And in none of those 49 general categories that apparently one of the president's, <coughs> excuse me, one of the president's lawyers put together after meeting with Mueller and his team of uh, Democrat prosecutors, not one of them establishes an underlying crime. Not one of them. It's all Martha Stewart stuff. And I want to tell you what the memorandum for the Attorney General that stands as the rule, the policy, for the Office of the Attorney General and for the entire Department of Justice has to say about all this. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Big news, folks. In the last two weeks... Simply Safe won Editor's Choice Awards from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and The Wire Cutter. Three respected product testers. They put Simply Safe through a battery of tests, compared it to other home security products. Simply Safe won every time. I've been telling you about Simply Safe for a while now. My opinion, it's the best home security system hands down. They protect over 2 million Americans. This is a home security system you actually want in your home. You actually put it in your home. It takes about 20, 25 minutes. It's very cool. and You feel very protected when you're done. The sensors are tiny. You won't notice them. It's unbelievably easy to use. You can control it right from your phone. The most important reason, this isn't a gadget. It's comprehensive protection for all your windows, doors, your entire home. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Professional alarm monitoring there for you around the clock. It's just $15 a month. No contracts. No one else is doing it like this. No one. Learn more about how Simply Safe can help protect your family and your home. Just go to simplysafemark.com. That's simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com. Once you get the box, it comes in a little box, and you set it up like we did, you're going to wonder why you waited so long, because you will get incredibly important, cutting-edge security for your family and your home. Now, I'm not going to start this now because it won't make sense. I'm getting into an issue that will take a little time for us to go through. That is the official position of the Department of Justice. And I am hell-bent on making this the central point in the president's case. And I am hell-bent on educating the American people about what's going on here. I don't think it's too complicated. I don't think it's too mundane. I don't think we need to keep chasing shiny objects. I think we need to focus on this republic like we've never focused on it before. And quit playing games. We don't have adversaries anymore. We have enemies. 
And they are using the rule of law to destroy the rule of law. They are using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. They seek to change the very makeup of our system. Unappointed, I should say, unelected prosecutors who are hell-bent and obsessed with a partisan agenda. There's no other explanation for this. Other countries have suffered from this. Tyrannies have suffered from this. Socialist regimes suffer from this. We see our friends in Israel suffer from this. We must not cross this red line without a fight. Whether it's Donald Trump or anybody else. Whether I think you can indict a sitting president, as Andy McCarthy and I have discussed really for years, is a theoretical discussion. The Department of Justice position is, and it is perfectly legitimate, it is very solid, is that you cannot. You cannot indict a sitting president. If you cannot indict a sitting president, then you cannot subpoena a sitting president for the purpose of investigating whether or not he should be indicted or to create the conditions of his indictment. This is so off the rails, it is absolutely unconscionable. And to see this Rod Rosenstein sit on his ass and sanctimoniously lecture everybody else. And my old buddy Jeff Sessions, who I've already said he's been way too passive, he needs to step down. He's not in control of what's taking place which means Mueller's in control, is intolerable. The country must come first. People say, we need to hear it from the greatest constitutional experts in the country. You're listening to one. I've been studying that document and its history since I was 13 years old. I've studied legal precedents related to this. For 45, 50 years, as a kid, Nixon versus the United States, the Fitzgerald case, the Jones case, you can go right down the list. But never before, as a prosecutor, sought to take down a president as if he's going after some 7-Eleven robber, dragging a nation through this kind of thing. And let me tell you something. With cheerleaders in the media, with cheerleaders in the Democrat Party, Russia TV, which I despise, is less hostile to America than CNN and MSNBC and all those frauds at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Look at the court gestures they have on night TV. Who watches this stuff on late-night TV? These quasi-bubescent buffoons who are in the back pocket of the Democrat Party? They're not funny. They're court jesters. They're clowns led by Stephen Colbert. Jimmy Kimmel has an IQ of 14. Jake Tapper's on there the other day. You know, uh, 
presidents and his people should really think about, you know, that dinner the other night, you know, maybe maybe they started it. Maybe they shouldn't call people ugly. Maybe they shouldn't call this. Of course, Jake Tapper says that being a liberal Democrat his entire life. No, Jake. It all started with the first debate. And Megyn Kelly taking shots, taking shots at Trump. Go back and check the tape if you dare. Meanwhile, he was the recipient of the James Clapper leak, the setup of Donald Trump, the blackmail of Donald Trump, and he sat there with that goofy smirk on his face night in and night out, not revealing that to the American people. Stick with me. I'll be right back. Broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Here's the first sentence from the memorandum from the Attorney General from the Office of Legal Counsel that provides such opinions on October 16, 2000 in the Clinton administration. In 1973, the department concluded, that is of justice, that the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would impermissibly undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions. We have been asked to summarize and review this analysis, provided in support of that conclusion, and to consider whether any subsequent developments in the law lead us today to reconsider and modify or disavow that determination. We believe that the conclusion reached by the Department in 1973 still represents the best interpretation of the Constitution. Now, some will say, we already knew that they were considering pursuing this. Well, of course we did. That's why I talked about it in June 2017, almost a year ago. But we've now reached crunch time. The threat is real, it's here, it's in our face, and we just need to avert our eyes from Kanye West for a couple of hours and focus on the Republic. That's all I'm saying. And we better, because these people are active. Now let me move to other quotes from this really quite thorough document and its endless footnotes and citations to critical cases as well as American history and the construct of the Constitution. The practical demands on the individual who occupies the office of the president, particularly in the modern era, are enormous. President Washington wrote that, quote, the duties of my office at all times require an unremitting attention, unquote. Now, it goes on. In the two centuries since the Washington administration, the demands on government and thus of the president's duties have grown exponentially. In the words of Supreme Court Justice Jackson, in drama, magnitude, and finality, 
the president's decisions so far overshadow any others that almost alone he fills the public eye and ear. It's from the memo. The burdens imposed on a sitting president by the initiation of criminal proceedings, whether for official or unofficial wrongdoing, therefore must be assessed in the light of the court's long recognition, that's the Supreme Court's, the unique position in the constitutional scheme that this office occupies. Given the unique powers granted to and obligations imposed upon the president, we think it clear that a sitting president may not constitutionally be imprisoned. The physical confinement of the chief executive following a valid conviction would indisputably preclude the executive branch from performing its constitutionally assigned functions. Of course, it might be argued that the 25th Amendment provides a mechanism to ensuring that if a sitting president were convicted and imprisoned, there could be a transfer of powers to an acting president rather than a permanent disabling of the executive branch. But the possibility of vice presidential secession hardly constitutes an argument in favor of allowing other branches to take actions that would disable the sitting president. To rationalize the president's imprisonment on the ground that he can be succeeded by an acting replacement is to give insufficient weight to the people's considered choice as to whom they wish to serve as their chief executive and to the availability of a politically accountable process of impeachment and removal from the office for a president who's engaged in serious criminal misconduct. While the executive branch would continue to function, albeit after a period of serious dislocation, it would still not do so as the people intended, with their elected president at the helm. Thus we conclude that the 25th Amendment should not be understood sub silentio to withdraw a previously established immunity and authorize the imprisonment of a sitting president. See, the point of an indictment is to get a conviction. It goes on. Putting aside the possibility of criminal confinement during his term in office, the severity of the burden imposed upon the president by the stigma arising both from the initiation of a criminal prosecution and also from the need to respond to such charges through the judicial process would seriously interfere with his ability to carry out his constitutionally assigned functions. Once criminal charges are filed, the burdens of responding to those charges are different in kind and far greater in degree than those of responding to civil litigation. The constitutional provisions governing criminal prosecutions make clear the framers' belief that an individual's mental and physical involvement and assistance in the preparation of his defense, both before and during any criminal trial, would be intense, no less so for the president than for any other defendant. The Constitution contemplates the defendant's attendance at a trial and indeed secures his right to be present by ensuring his right to confront witnesses who appear at trial. The Constitution also guarantees the defendant a right to counsel, which is itself premised on the defendant's ability to communicate with such counsel and assist in the preparation of his own defense. 
these protections stain in stark contrast to the constitutional relative silence as to the rights of parties in civil proceedings, and they underscore the unique mental and physical burdens that would be placed on a president facing criminal charges and attempting to fend off conviction and punishment. These burdens inhere not merely in the actual trial itself, but also in the substantial preparation a criminal trial demands. It continues in another part. The constitutionally prescribed process of impeachment and removal lies in the hands of duly elected and politically accountable officials. The House and Senate are appropriate institutional actors to consider the competing interests favoring and opposing a decision to subject the president and the nation to a Senate trial and perhaps removal. Congress is structurally designed to consider and reflect the interests of the entire nation, and individual members of Congress must ultimately account for their decisions to their constituents. By contrast, the most important decisions in the process of criminal prosecution would lie in the hands of unaccountable grand and petit jurors, deliberating in secret, perhaps influenced by regional or other concerns not shared by the general polity, guided by a prosecutor who is only indirectly accountable to the public. The framers considered who should possess the extraordinary power of deciding whether to initiate a proceeding that could remove the president, one of only two constitutional officers elected by the people as a whole and place that responsibility in the elected officials of Congress. It would be inconsistent with that carefully considered judgment to permit an unelected grand jury and prosecutor effectively to remove a president by bringing criminal charges against him while he remains in office. Thus, the constitutional concern is not merely that any particular indictment in criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unduly impinge upon his ability to perform his public duties. A more general concern is that permitting such a criminal process against a sitting president would affect the underlying dynamics of our governmental system in profound and necessarily unpredictable ways. By shifting an awesome power to unelected persons lacking an explicit constitutional role vis-a-vis the president, Given the potentially momentous political consequences for the nation at stake, there is a fundamental structural incompatibility between the ordinary application of the criminal process and the office of the presidency. Last paragraph. In 1973, the Department of Justice concluded that the indictment and criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unduly interfere with the ability of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned duties and would thus violate the constitutional separation of powers. No court has addressed this question directly, but the judicial precedents that bear on the continuing validity of our constitutional analysis are consistent with both the analytic approach taken and the conclusions reached. Our review remains that a sitting president is constitutionally immune from indictment and criminal prosecution. Randolph D. Moss, Assistant Attorney General, Office of Legal Counsel, 
in the Clinton administration, agreeing with the conclusions of the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel in the Nixon administration. Now let's take a look at what's taking place. We are not even talking about investigating the President of the United States for having violated any criminal statute. It's not even alleged. It's not even leaked. It's not even presented anywhere. You can throw around the term obstruction of justice all you want. That is not this case. Indeed, if it is this case, it goes exactly to the point of the memorandum. That is, you have a prosecutor who is looking for process crimes against the president for the purpose of undermining his administration. A president is not required to sit down with a prosecutor so the prosecutor can try and entrap him on matters that are none of the prosecutor's business. The President of the United States was free to remove Jim Comey for any reason he wanted. Congress can look into that. President of the United States is free to tweet whatever he wants. It is in no sense a criminal matter. Not a single tweet triggers any criminal statute. The President of the United States was free to condemn the contemptible Acting Attorney General of the United States, Sally Yates, a holdover from the Obama administration. The President of the United States is free to do all these things because they're not criminal. And he's free to exercise the power of his office. Removing, shuffling, reshuffling subordinates as he chooses. Now, you can impeach a president, you can remove a president, then you can see whether or not crimes have been committed after the fact <clears throat> that a prosecutor wishes to pursue. We have many troubling aspects to this case. Rod Rosenstein is a very, very weak man. He's a coward. He's way out of his league. He does not understand the Constitution. He hasn't even taken the time to read these memoranda. And particularly the October 2000, the last of the two, from the Clinton administration. The special counsel is required, as a condition of his appointment, to comply with Department of Justice policies. This is the policy of the Department of Justice. I would say to my old friend, Jeff Sessions, is it really worth, really worth sitting passively, sitting silently, not acting to get control of your department, to protect the Constitution, to protect the American people, from what has taken place and what is about to take place. Is your attorney generalship more important than doing the right thing?
We understand you will come under blistering attack. We understand how the media in this country operate. We understand that the Democrat Party is unmoored from our constitutional system and yet asserts it in order to ensure that we're unmoored from it. But sometimes statesmen have to step up. Statesmen have to step up. We are at a turning point in this country. This is why I will not get caught up on this Kanye West and other stuff. God bless him. I wish him well. It's not what I'm focused on. It's the republic. It's the silent coup. Now, the memorandum for the attorney general in 2000 was as relevant then as it is today. And you see, Mr. Mueller has already violated most of the principles set forth in the Department of Justice memoranda, both of them. He has caused the President of the United States to divert an enormous amount of his time dealing with him. Mr. Mueller has actually been more nefarious. When you look at the individuals who he's questioned, who are all around the President of the United States, who served him during his campaign, who served him during his transition, who has served him today. He's virtually crippled the ability of this president to bring in many new people, and he's done so intentionally. And he has harassed and persecuted others. And his tactics are going after family members, are going after lawyers for, for, uh, for uh, targets or subjects or witnesses, shows that the man has no governor. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, given this background, this historic background, you can see how outrageous and contemptible was the conduct of the Senate Judiciary Committee controlled by the Republicans. When all the Democrats and four Republicans voted to protect Robert Mueller, even though their action is utterly unconstitutional, because they can't protect a subordinate of the president if the president wants to fire the subordinate. It's called separation of powers. These men and women swore to uphold a constitution they either do not comprehend or do not intend to uphold. Now, they have given Robert Mueller more motivation to continue to conduct himself in a manner that is unconstitutional, even without the President of the United States talking to Mueller. Mueller has already significantly, substantially disrupted this presidency in ways that the Department of Justice has said he must not. I'll be back. The Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. You don't believe me? Check it out. All right. 
You know, it's hard to find a bigger fan of you than mom. Through all the teenage mischief and tough first steps of adulthood, she's been there supporting your every step of the way. This Mother's Day, show her just how much you appreciate all of her dedication with beautiful 1-800-Flowers.com. Oh, you hear from others. Stick with me. 1-800-Flowers.com. We've got something worked out with them. Right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, 1-800-Flowers is giving you an exclusive 24 for 24 offer. 24 multicolored roses for $24. That's only $1 per rose. With a bright and beautiful mix of premium roses and a rainbow of colors, these blooms are guaranteed to show mom just how much she's loved. 24 multicolored roses for only $24 is an amazing Mother's Day offer. Just pick your delivery date while you can, and 1-800-Flowers will handle the rest. Please don't put this off another day. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do, right? To order 24 stunning multicolored roses for only $24, here's the exact information. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. That way, you'll get the special offer. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN. If you hear me saying it, move immediately. Go get them. Grab the discount. It's a great offer. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the supermarket an hour before you get home to your wife? Or if you see your mother? And then pick the dead petals off the flowers. I can't tell you how many times I did that when I was, what, 14, 15 years old? I'm not 14, 15 years old anymore. Give her the best. Make it easy on yourself. You don't even have to go anywhere. You do it online. They do all the work for you. You imagine, we talk about capitalism here all the time. It's really fascinating how this is done. The growing of the flowers. All seasons, the transporting of the flowers, that's not easy. It has to be the right temperature. They have to be handled a certain way. The delivery of the flowers, the way the flowers are delivered to you in order to keep them fresh. It's a rather complex process. And yet, look what they do at 1-800-Flowers.com. All you have to do is go on the internet and go get them. And get high quality, beautiful flowers. So one more time, 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. I appreciate this sponsor. I appreciate what they do. And uh, yes, I do order them for my mom and my wife. They kind of know it but I don't want them to know in advance, if you know what I mean. All right. All right. Now, I want to go back. A friend of mine wrote me and said, well, we don't want Sessions to step down because that means Rod Rosenstein will be the acting attorney general. No, it doesn't. Maybe for a few days or a week, President of the United States can make an immediate recess appointment. He can appoint the acting attorney general. 
and you can keep doing it. These are extraordinary times, and they require extraordinary decisions. You can appoint an acting attorney general to the end of the term of Congress, and you can appoint another one at the beginning of the next term with Congress. John Bolton was our ambassador to the United Nations for a period of time, but he was never confirmed by the miscreants and malcontents that make up the Democrats in the Senate. But he was nonetheless our ambassador, excuse me, during the part of the administration of George W. Bush because he received a recess appointment. So that is constitutionally permissible, and it does happen. But I want to get back to what Congress should be doing. You have the Senate Judiciary Committee, despite everything you see, the leaks, what's taking place, the violations of Department of Justice policy when it comes to the criminal investigation of a president, let alone his indictment and trial, both parties controlling the Department of Justice, making abundantly clear that this is disruptive to a nation, it is dangerous to our constitutional construct, and you literally have the Republican-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee taking a vote to protect not the Constitution, not the President, not the Department of Justice's position, but the perpetrator, Mueller. What do you think the framers of the Constitution would think about this? Do you think they'd be appalled? Do you think George Washington would be appalled that a single prosecutor who wasn't even confirmed by anybody appoints a a prosecutor unknown to most of the American people, unresponsive to any of the American people, making him special, I guess, a special counsel, What do you think George Washington, as President of the United States, would have said when confronted with that? What do you think John Adams would have said? What do you think Thomas Jefferson would have said? What do you think James Madison would have said? What do you think all of the founding presidents would have said in the face of such tyranny? That they can't fire a subordinate? What would their political party do in the United States Senate? Act to protect the rogue prosecutor against their president? We, ladies and gentlemen, we have unraveled so thoroughly that right is wrong and good is evil. So thorough is the progressive devourment, it is a word, of our civil society that We have people arguing that tyranny trumps constitutionalism. And we have Congress sitting there protecting or thinking about protecting the perpetrator, the rogue prosecutor who's undermining the Article 2 part of our government. And the Democrats are are perfectly happy with it because they instigated it. They triggered it. And the media, which sanctimoniously and devilishly claim monopoly control of the First Amendment, the media in this country, the likes of Chris Cuomo, how far our media have sunk. Chris Cuomo, Al Sharpton, Chris Matthews, 
Joe Scarborough? Look at these clowns. Rachel Maddow, Don Lemon. It's a house of horrors. The fools at the Washington Post. The fools at the New York Times. The Holocaust deniers. Unacceptable. So is Congress without without the ability to act? Of course not. But the Republicans won't act. Let me reiterate what I said near the top of the hour. Let me reiterate what I posted on Facebook and Twitter this morning. What CNS, CNS posted. Rather than try to pass legislation to protect Special Counsel Mueller, the GOP Congress should subpoena Mueller and demand he answer legitimate questions about the course of his investigation, especially given its constitutional impact. Congress need not wait for Mueller to issue his pronouncements. Surely Mueller cannot be a power unto himself immune from legislative oversight while disrupting and threatening a presidency. Indeed, Congress has a more legitimate constitutional authority, if not duty, to inquire into Mueller's investigation. Given its lurch into constitutional areas and threats of obstruction against a sitting president, than Mueller does to question the president about his presidential functions. Moreover, Mueller must be asked on what legal basis he apparently disclaims the unaltered official Department of Justice policy and position, asserted in two long-established opinions, that a sitting president cannot be indicted. He must also be asked on what authority he can abandon Department of Justice policy, which he's compelled to comply with as a condition of his appointment. Now that Mueller has turned his collusion investigation into a potential constitutional crisis, he does not have exclusive authority to call the shots. And the Republican Congress need not wait for his anticipated impeachment report, a political gift to salivating Democrats who've pushed for this from the start. Now, there may be some not-so-clever lawyers out there listening, including those who work for Mueller. If they were really good, they wouldn't be working for Mueller. Some of them have even been admonished by courts. His number two guy was reversed nine to zero by the Supreme Court. That's what kind of judgment Mr. Mueller has. Mr. Anthrax. Mr. Whitey Bulger. Anyway. Mr. Mueller. It's quite serious. Some of these lawyers might say, well, here's what they do, you see. Mr. Mueller says to the court, if it gets to this far, and it should, I want the president to fight this every step of the way. Not because he's a fighter, which he is, but because it's the only right course, given the courses that he has. He should break out of the box that they're trying to put him in. He and his lawyers and his surrogates, constitutional scholars like me, oh yeah, need to make the case. This is about the republic. 
It's going to be difficult, but it's brass knuckles time. It's time for those IQ, high IQ, conservative lawyers, conservative scholars, conservative intellectuals, and everybody to speak out, because this is totally understandable. It's time to man the barricades. And go on the offensive and do so with great vigor. With great vigor. So some of these lawyers might say, some of these professors, most of whom are dim-witted, they might say, well, here's the thing. He doesn't have to indict the president while he is a sitting president, Mueller. But he wants to question him now. Wants to question him now, and then he can make a determination later if he wants to indict him, indict him after the president leaves office. Now think about that for a second. What did the memorandum say? Talked about the entire process. Talked about the entire process. In fact, the memorandum also elaborates on, and I didn't raise this, the statute of limitations. And they said if the statute of limitations falls, that is, let's say Trump is president for eight years. And they say, no, 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 but there's a statute of limitation in some concocted crime. That's three years, five years, whatever it is. Well, then we will miss our opportunity. You know what the official position of the Department of Justice is? Well, on balance, that's the way it goes. Because you're measuring what takes place against one branch of government. What's more important in the list of priority? You see, the point is, folks, Mr. Mueller has already violated the Department of Justice Memoranda, 1973 and 2000. He's already forced the President of the United States, his administration, to expend an enormous amount of time responding to him without even a foundational criminal statute to point to. And so now the President of the United States is supposed to willy-nilly, according to Jim Comey, Mr. Leaker, sit down with Mr. Mueller and just answer his questions with no time limit. Because Jim Comey is a hack. Jim Comey didn't follow the rules. Jim Comey was a conniver, was a rat fink. And Jim Comey is advising, really, Mr. Mueller to go after the president because Jim Comey is a thin-skinned, narcissist, egomaniac, disgruntled former employee who's making a fortune since being fired and humiliated by this president. And fired for good reason. Every time Comey's on TV and has something to say, it's another justification for him being fired. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You see, you have guys like Jeff Flake who hate Trump more than they love the Constitution. You've got guys like Lindsey Graham who's a gadfly. 
is a gadfly with minimal substance who is a creation of the media. And he knows it. Spends all his time on TV. He's a senator. You've got a guy like Tillis out of North Carolina who was a coward. And you got a guy like Chuck Grassley who's over his head, quite frankly. So they vote to protect the man who they should be inquiring about as he lurches into constitutional areas that are unprecedented. You know, falling into bed has taken a whole new meaning ever since I started sleeping on my Casper mattress. I mean this. Their engineers have created an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. Now, you get one, you'll understand why it's the Internet's favorite mattress, and more importantly, why it's my favorite mattress. Casper has created three unique mattresses to help you sleep cool and comfortably year-round. The Wave is engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. The Casper mattress is more breathable and comfortable than ever. And the Essential mattress is innovation at a great price point. All of them are designed to coddle and comfort your every move. And they all provide the perfect support for every position you sleep in. Find out why Casper has hundreds of thousands of happy customers like me and my family. Try your Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com slash mark and use code mark to save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash mark. Use code mark to save $50. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I have two magnificent guests on Sunday, and we're going to delve into this like nobody else has. Dan Bongino and Joe DeGenova. And me. And it is going to be a fantastic program on Sunday that is substantially, as far as I'm concerned, substantively crucial. So please bookmark it. Please DVR it. Better yet, watch it live 10 p.m. this Sunday, Eastern Time, Life, Liberty, and Levin. I know it's only Wednesday, but I really want you to, to keep this in mind. 7 p.m. Pacific Time. It's going to be a very, very important program. I've had enough of this, and we're going to go right at it. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, I fully understand that as I give this professorial discussion, in plain English, about these subjects, that others will cherry-pick them, but you need to understand, from where I sit, they need to cherry-pick them. I understand they won't cite this program. I get it. I really do. It's okay. Just do it. At this point, everybody needs to be on the same page. There will even be cable hosts will demonstrate how brilliant they are 
I'm heard by eight and a half million people a week on every form of broadcast, pretty much platform communication that is available. So I know what I'm saying, and you know what I'm saying. But this is not a time to worry about that. And by the way, I have to listen to the most contemptible network news. I don't know who's doing it. They have two stories back-to-back. Well, that's normally the way two stories work, but they're back-to-back. The first one was snide, ideologically-based reporting, essentially condemning Iowa for passing strict pro-life anti-abortion law. The next story was about football player head injuries. Which, by the way, is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And then I thought to myself, I said, you know what, Mr. Producer? You're a football player. You made the choice to be a football player. Now you know you may suffer head injuries. And you have still made that choice. That doesn't mean the lake won't address it for many reasons, including public uh, public, uh, press, lawsuits, and humanitarian. But that football player is an adult playing football. Not going to war, playing football. So they made a choice, right? The word choice is crucial here, right? Because that's all we hear in the abortion debate. But the baby in the womb, that baby in the womb, he or she didn't make a choice. The choice was made for him or her. And the sick irony of the left-wing news, obviously, is missed on them. But not on me. So the football players have a choice. They're adults. That's never mentioned in any story. The babies in the womb have no choice, which is why they always talk about the mother having the choice. But the baby in the womb is the one that is fundamentally affected in the most severe way. They don't have a choice. All right. I I wanted to address this because if I don't address it now, I won't remember to address it, and it's timely. Now, the uh, a GOP committee, GOP committee chairman, want to know something about this law professor friend of Comey's. Remember I've been hammering on this and hammering on this? Look, folks, I'm going to drive this damn thing because these Republicans, not all of them, we have some great Republicans, DeSantis, Gohmert, Meadows, Jordan, I started the list, Mo Brooks on the Senate side too. But the vast, they're not the majority within the Republican Party. The base is the majority within the Republican Party, but the base is a minority in the representation of the Republicans in Congress. Go figure. But they're, they're, they're lost. They're in the clouds. They're running for the hills. They're, 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 they're defending the, the, um, the perpetrators. I mean, they, they are, to watch them on TV is to be embarrassed for them. For them. But I've been saying this, uh, this 
law professor to whom Comey linked, uh, link, uh, memo leaks are linked. They need to get a hold of this guy. He's got some explaining to do, too. Comey is such an incompetent boob and such a legal illiterate. He seems to think that by hiring this law professor buddy of his, and I'd like to know how that happened, and I'd like to know what he was paid, and I would like to know exactly what work he did. But, secondary, the point is, he leaks this information to his law professor buddy. Now, was his law professor buddy an official within the FBI at the time? If he was an official in the FBI at the time, he was the willing and knowing recipient of purloined information from the federal government and then went ahead and leaked it to the New York Times. He should be investigated. Let's say he wasn't still an employee of Comey's at the time. He's still a private citizen. He's still the recipient of purloined information and then knowingly and purposely leaked it as a surrogate for Comey to the New York Times. So this guy should be in the crosshairs of law enforcement if our system was functioning properly, which it is not. But it is right. It is right that these Republican committee chairmen want to know more about it. Now, apparently they claim uh, that he was a special government employee for Comey's FBI on an unpaid basis. That's a rather strange arrangement, isn't it? That also seems like a premeditated arrangement. So the law professor is free to practice law while he's working for the FBI. This really needs to be exposed. And why would Comey go to such an elaborate ruse if he didn't understand that leaking government property, proprietary government property, classified or otherwise, violates the Department of Justice rules? Oh, no, 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 he tells all the investigators. No, 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 you don't, you don't understand. I, I, it, I, I always perceived it as my own private information. Look, pal, I don't care if you perceive a kumquat to be a, uh, a Chevrolet. Your perception's irrelevant. The law and the rules are what's relevant. The fact that you're a self-serving, narcissist, egomaniacal, obsessed hater of Donald Trump is your problem. Those are your psychological issues. But it doesn't define the law, and you don't define the law. This guy really turns out is quite the sicko. He's quite the sicko. Now, the president has brought a new lawyer on. And I'm glad he did. This guy's good. He's with Williams and Connolly. That's a real law firm. That's where Brendan Sullivan is one of the top lawyers. You might remember him as... Oliver North's lawyer. But all day long, what have the reporters said? Every damn one of them. That he represented Clinton in the impeachment case. Because they want to keep pushing impeachment, impeachment, 
use the word impeachment in every sentence you describe Trump impeachment indictment obstruction of justice impeachment indictment we well, did more than that he represented the former governor of Virginia who was brought up on trumped up charges and he won the case in the United States Supreme Court the president is muscling up He'd be foolish not to. So the media reporting this as he's bringing in the Clinton impeachment guy. And also that there's, there is disruption in his legal team. No, listen. He's upgrading his legal team. That's what he's doing. You notice when the Democrats destroy our health care system, they never talk about, look, the Democrats have created disruption in our health care system. When the Democrats refuse to secure the southern border, do they ever say, look, the Democrats have created disruption in our immigration system. When the Democrats have sanctuary cities, do they ever say, look how they're disrupting our constitutional system with nullification, even talking about society. They never disrupt anything. Because they're good. They're compassionate. They have good, good intentions. But when the president is making new personnel decisions, having never worked in Washington, D.C. before, and making very good upgrades, I have to tell you, whether it's the State Department, whether it's the NSC, um, whether it's Chief of Staff, he's made excellent upgrades, improvements. Well, the Democrats and the media, the Praetorian Guard, they don't like it. So they want you to think this is all a mess. It's not a mess at all. It's a fine-tuning. And it's a good fine-tuning. So I'm glad he brought in this other guy who has a record, a very strong record of success, and he didn't just represent Bill Clinton in his impeachment case, as did 412 other lawyers. He's got a broader portfolio, a broader resume than that, but you'd never know it. You gotta Google the guy and you'll see who he is. Looks really, really good. I'll be right back. Lovin. You wanna know why Republicans lose elections? It's not because of conservatives or the Tea Party. It's because of people like this. Bob Corker won't campaign against ex-Democrat governor who wants to succeed him. So he's not going to help Marsha Black in any significant way. Here's one that surprised me. In Florida, USA Today, Senator Marco Rubio's cozy relationship with Democratic Senator Bill Nelson could sway Nelson's election bit. He's been very tepid, but he talks up his close work with Nelson all the time. Now, he used to be a Tea Party firebrand. That's when I first heard him and endorsed him and helped him defeat the establishment. But this is what's happened now. So you have a seat in Florida that we can win. You have a seat in Tennessee that we can win with two bona fide conservatives, or fairly conservative anyway. And Corker will barely lift a finger, and Rubio's playing footsie with Nelson. It's not because of conservatives. It's not because of wacky candidates. 
And you won't hear McConnell jump on these guys. You won't hear him leak statements in Politico and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the conservative media trashing some conservative who won't go along with him. No. These are mainstream guys. Rubio and Corker. Although Corker is more left than mainstream, in my humble opinion. So I wanted to point that out. Here's another one. If I were a different host, I would have led with this today. CNN hosts porn star's lawyer Michael Avenatti 59 times in less than two months. Now, why? It's a simple answer, because CNN's into pornography. That's why. Why the hell else? This guy, Avenatti, is a hit man of the, legal, of the uh, lawyerly sort who is just going to keep bringing cases against the president because he's a political hack with ties to Rahm Emanuel. He's also a dumb SOB. That's right, pal. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're a real sleazeball. It's exactly what you are. Test me on it, buddy. Then we have this story. NBC staffers felt pressure to sign letter defending Brokaw. So NBC, NBC is a problem. Not only is it MSLSD, it's, MS, it's NBC proper. They lost Matt Lauer because he's a pervert. Now these allegations came up against Brokaw. Honestly, I don't know what to think of this. It's not like the Cosby case where you have 412,000 women coming forward. But we'll see. <clears throat> but it's, it's interesting because it's Brokaw. Immediately they genuflect, excuse me, and defend him. What happened to the uh, movement? What did they call the movement? The Me Too movement? Well, in this case, it's uh, not so much Me Too. Because he's an iconic figure in NBC and a longtime liberal. And because he went after Nixon. That's the bottom line. Isn't that the bottom line? Isn't that where he got his fame? And that dummy Dan Rather he used to talk in, uh, in, in, you know, in rhyming phrases like Jesse Jackson. But he destroyed himself, too. Now we see NBC staffers felt pressured to sign a letter defending Brokaw. Female staffers at NBC News are complaining they felt under huge pressure to sign the woman's letter defending Tom Brokaw against sexual harassment. So we have a scandal at NBC. Are they going to report it at NBC? Are they going to report it at MSNBC? Of course not. They're busy chasing down Hannity's legitimate real estate deals. Now that is the crime of the century. Legitimate investment and improvement of real estate. That we got to come clean on. But I wondered what happened to all these sexual harassment allegations. All of a sudden, they don't exist anymore. Well, apparently they do. How about this one? Here's a cool one. Boy Scouts to get new name after 100 years as girls join group. So they're not going to be the BSA Boy Scouts anymore. They're going to just call them the Scouts. So they've destroyed the Boy Scouts. They've destroyed the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts really was created, what, Theodore Roosevelt's time? To turn boys into men. But we don't want to turn boys into men anymore. And we can't even get our genitalia straight. Who wears what? Who gets what? Who cuts what? Who grows what? Who identifies what? I mean, when you really think about it, And one day a book will be written, as it has been about the Roman Empire, and you look back at the United States. The difference between the Roman Empire and the United States, there's many, but one significant one. We 
have the historical knowledge of what happened in the Roman Empire. And we haven't learned a damn thing from it. If you cannot agree what a vagina and a penis is and what belongs where, there's something wrong. That's right, I said it. And if you can't agree on what bathroom to use or what gym to use, there's something wrong. And if we now have a whole civil rights movement built around what you do with them, what you don't with them, whether you have one or you don't have one, or whether you want one or you don't want one, that's pathetic. So now we don't have the Boy Scouts of America anymore. We have the Scouts of America. But let me throw this into the hopper. Isn't that racist? Scouts? You mean like Indians? I think they should be called the Boys of America, not the Boy Scouts of America. If you're going to call them the Scouts, I think you need to call them the Native American Association. You can't call them Scouts. I think that would offend some other group. Everybody's offended. Whether it's genitalia, whether it's skin color, whether it's heritage, everybody. The greatest country on the face of the earth embraces everyone who wants to be embraced. Everyone who wants to be embraced is split into 5,000 different factions based on the most inane, inane things. I'll be right back. In show where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. You know, more than a million children became victims of identity theft in 2017. Can you imagine? And families paid $540 million out of pocket to cover the cost of the fraud. Kids' identities are worth tons on the black market. Why? Because thieves open accounts and parents don't find out for years. Often when they apply for financial aid for college, it's horrific. With school and medical records now digitized and even young kids routinely online, the risk is growing faster than ever. But you don't need to worry. You can protect your family right now with My ID Care. My ID Care is the best. It covers you for the nine types of identity theft, including child ID theft with great family plans. And they provide a 100% identity recovery guarantee or your money back. That's the difference between my ID care from the other guys. You need top-tier identity recovery, and they stand by it with their guarantee. And this is why they protect many major corporations in this company. You and your kids need protection, and you need my ID care. They're the cutting edge. They're number one. Learn more and get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark. MyIDCare.com slash Mark or our exclusive toll-free number 866-334-3084 That's 866-334-3084 or MyIDCare.com slash Mark Look, I'm concerned about every race in this country Senate and House but there are some people running who are truly exceptional including a gentleman I've known personally for many years, and he's one of us, and his name is Chip Roy. He's the former chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz, but he also has a resume and record of solid conservative performance, not talk, 
performance of his own. And he's running in a, a district, the 21st Congressional District of Texas. I have wholeheartedly supported him, as has Senator Cruz, as has Senator Mike Lee, as have so many others. And this is a race, frankly, that's bigger than Texas. This is a national race as far as I'm concerned, but he can only get elected in the district. Chip Roy, how are you, sir? Mark, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderfully. Now, let's get a few facts on the table first. You have early voting on May 14th, and you have Election Day, May 22nd. Explain to everybody, let's hear the names, who you're running against, and what you need folks to do who really can't concerned about conservative, uh, constitutional conservatism. Well, thanks, Mark. Yes, it's the 21st Congressional District in Texas. Uh, stretches from Austin down to San Antonio and out through the Hill Country. It's a great district. It's filled with a lot of great people, great Texans. Running against Matt McCall, uh, he and I will be squaring off in a runoff uh, on May 22nd. As you said, early voting starts May 14th. And it's, you know, fundamentally critical that we get our voters to the polls and show up. And if we do that, we will win. But as you know, runoffs are always unpredictable because it's not a normal election day and you don't know who's at the top of the ticket that could drive out voters. So our job is to make sure that solid conservatives, constitutional conservatives who understand that we need somebody we can trust to uh, reflect our values in Washington. And as you said, someone who has performance, somebody who's got a uh, track record that you can trust, not just talk. And that's the key distinguishing factor between me and the fellow I'm running against in the primary. And look, on March 6th, I was gratified. We came in first place with 27% of the vote in a field of 18 candidates, which was awesome. And it was a good, it was a good deal due to uh, support from you, Mark, and other great conservative friends like Ted Cruz. But we've got to get our voters to the polls on March 22nd. I mean, May 22nd. Sorry. All right. So the people in the 21st Congressional District and the people all over the country who want to help you, where do they go? Chiproy.com. That's Chiproy.com. And, and any, uh, anybody who understands campaigns knows that you can't do it without resources. And let me tell you, your listeners have been unbelievable in their support. We've had support in Texas, but also across the country from constitutional conservatives. And we need every dollar so that we can get the votes out. So Chiproy.com. I'd love to have the support. You know, your race is particularly interesting to me because it really does align the way it ought to. You've got a Republican primary now with two candidates. One is a Reagan conservative and one is a Gerald Ford rhino, as far as I'm concerned. And the people in your district have a clear-cut choice and a clear-cut chance to get the kind of congressman they want. All they have to do is vote. Do I have that about right? Well, it's absolutely correct that if our conservative voters show up to the polls and vote uh, on May 14th through the early voting and May 22nd, we will win, and we will send a Reagan limited government constitutional conservative that you can trust to Congress, somebody with a proven track record. All we know about my opponent is that he talks. He's run, he's lost, he's run, he's lost in the past. We need somebody with a proven track record who wears the body scars of standing up against amnesty, standing up against a gun registry bill in 2013 alongside Senator Cruz, standing up against the earmarks and the spending uh, profligate spending under President Obama, and somebody that has a proven track record of, of uh, fighting for health care freedom, which is so fundamental to our country, as you know. Let me ask you a few quick questions so the nation can know more about you and the Levinites out there, from my perspective, 
will get behind you and support you. Where do you stand on the Iran deal? The Iran deal should be obviously done away with. It was a terrible uh, arrangement and certainly is not just problematic for our great friend Israel, which it is, but great, but it undermined our national security. It is ridiculous that it was ever entered to in the first place, and we should be getting out of it immediately and making sure that we are uh, standing next to and side by side with our friend Israel, which is what I will do in Congress. It's, a, it's one of the most important issues uh, in my campaign to me. Where do you stand on building a physical barrier on the southern border? You know, it's interesting. As you know, I fought against amnesty not once, not twice, but three times in my time serving in the United States Senate as a staffer and, and stood to make sure that we have physical barriers and that we have a wall before the president rightly made it a campaign issue and was rightly elected because we want it. I hear, I hear these politicians say, well, a fence or a wall is a 19th century solution to a 21st century problem. Really? Say that to the ranchers who keep their cattle in and their ranchers, or say that to the White House who has a fence up around the White House, or say that to anybody else. Of course fencing and walls work. We need to build the wall. We need to fund the wall. And anybody with common sense recognizes that's a critical part of our border security and our need to reclaim our borders. Would you become a member of the Freedom Caucus if you were elected? I have already publicly said so, and I'm very proud to have the endorsement of Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and Louie Gohmert all of whom are obviously proud members of the, of the Freedom Caucus. I've worked side-by-side side with them in the past. They're supporting me for one reason and one reason only. They know they can count on me to join with them and fight side-by-side, side. and I've already publicly called for Jim Jordan uh, to be running for speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out where you're wrong. I can't figure out a damn thing, quite frankly. <laughs> um, well, the only, the only thing I might have been wrong about was uh, – was, uh, uh, you know, spending spending too much time in Washington in the past, but but I'm happy to come. Yeah, but you, time. honest to God, you didn't spend a lot of time in Washington. You were born outside of Washington, but you've been in Texas a very very long time. Um, what other positions have you held in Texas? I've been the first assistant attorney general. Uh, I've been a federal prosecutor, uh, where we uh, prosecuted drug runners and prosecuted uh, uh, people who are here illegally and made sure they were deported. And, um, you know, I've obviously worked, as you know, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, running the Tenth Amendment Center uh, and advancing conservative principles, including last year, fighting very hard to reveal the fake Obamacare repeal that Republicans were putting forward rather than sending a full repeal bill to the president's desk, which he deserves. And that's one of the things we've got to recognize. What the president has accomplished over the last 15 months in terms of a tax bill, 12 good circuit court justices, the United States Supreme Court justice, a... uh, uh, getting us out of the clean power plan and the Paris Agreement. These are extraordinary achievements in taking on the bureaucracy, but he's been doing it heavily without the support of Congress. We need a Congress that will send the president good bills, get him to his desk, limit spending, get our health care freedom back, and get us uh, get uh, Washington the heck out of our lives. See, ladies and gentlemen, I'm done backing people who are not unequivocal in terms of the principles and belief systems that we, you Levinites and I, that we share. Chip Roy is the guy we need to back. 21st Congressional District of Texas. Early voting is May 14th. By my calculation, that's 12 days from now. My math sucks, but that I can do. uh, The election day is May 22nd. That's 20 days from now. I guess the establishment types and so forth are throwing a lot of money in this race. Are they funding a lot of your candidates' ads? Is he running a lot of ads? 
Well, he's starting to, and I think there's there's some folks that are they're throwing money his way, and, and we know it's a really close race because uh, runoffs always are close, and we've got to make sure that we that you know we will do our job and we will win if we get the financial support we need and if people show up to vote. All right, so let's call this a Levin surge. All right, let's go to chiproy.com, chiproy.com. See whatever support you can give him, please. I I uh, I think you'll be extremely. You know, remember years ago, I said, let's get behind this fellow by the name of Mike Lee. Nobody really knew who Mike Lee was. Then a little later, I said, hey, let's get behind this fellow by the name of Ted Cruz. I've said it about others, too. Chip Roy is the real deal. He's the real deal. It's all the way in Texas, for those of us who don't live there, the 21st. By the way, that is a huge district, isn't it? It's a pretty sizable district, and it's a great district, right in the center of Texas, the Hill Country, and it's got... Beautiful scenery, great Texas music, but a lot of good, you know, high-tech jobs, agriculture jobs, stretches from San Antonio to Austin. It's a great district. Who's in there now? Lamar Smith, uh, who, who has been, as you know, a stalwart on immigration yes. and uh, very strong on, on the uh, climate, change, you know, climate change hysteria. He's been great at, at fighting back on both of those issues. But the way these elections tend to work is they're very, very close, but the individual who finally overcomes and wins is the individual who becomes an incumbent for a period of time. So this is a very, very important race. If you like seeing a guy like Jim Jordan and Meadows and Louie and Brooks, all these great members of Congress out there speaking, Chip Roy will be among those leaders. So I hope you Levinites will go to chiproy.com and give him your support. All right, brother, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for all you do. You're such a great blessing to this country, and thank you to your listeners for their support. It's already coming in, and so keep it coming. I appreciate it, and God bless you, my friend. You too. Let's go ahead and throw that up on my site, Mr. Producer. And if his Weasley opponent wants to come on, well, we'll bring him on. I'm a fair guy. I really am. If his Weasley opponent wants to come on, I'll give him a shot. And we can go through these issues with him, including his background as is obviously a longtime conservative activist. I never heard of the guy before. That's chiproy.com. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know, when I started in radio, geez, I sound like an old man, don't I? All these guys are, you know... Anyway, uh, yeah, exactly. I would make up these names for all these politicians and all these reporters to humiliate them. You know, like Barbara Boxer, I'd call her. What would I call her? I don't even remember. The Dwarf Senator, Diane Frankenfeinstein. Used to call Kennedy the Cape Cod Orca. Uh, Schmucky Schumer. On and on and on. I still do it, but it's another ripoff. It's another ripoff. You hear these other hosts do it all the time. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But again, it's what I tell young people who say, how do I break into radio talk rate? I say, be yourself. Be who you are, your own identity, your own brand, your own content. Be yourself. By the way, Jimmy Kimmel, for now on, You'll be known here as Jimmy Pimple. Why? Because I like the sound of it. 
You're a pimple on an elephant's ass. Pretty much. You're grotesque. I watched you for three minutes on a clip with Jake Tapper. It was like, what the hell ever happened to Carson? Or all these other guys. You got these lightweight, quasi-pubescent punks, pretty much. Using their ideology and calling it humor. They're court gestures. That's what they are. Now, uh, you can help put a pocket copy of the Constitution in the hands of every public high school and middle school student in the nation. And why wouldn't we want to help this effort, by the way? Especially since Hillsdale College is spearheading this ambitious project. Many of you have taken one of Hillsdale College's free online courses on the Constitution, economics, history, and freedom. Others have attended the free regional events Hillsdale sponsors around the country. Some of you benefit from Hillsdale's free work with charter schools. Hillsdale does these things as part of their mission to help all Americans pursue truth and defend liberty, to help Americans become better citizens, to preserve freedom. Now they're reaching out to public schools by sending a copy of the Constitution and Declaration to every middle and high public school principal in America, along with an offer to provide free copies for every student. This is the last week we can help with this project, so let's do it. Learn how you can help in this historic effort to reach America's youth with truth and how you can get your own copy of Hillsdale's Pocket Constitution to give or keep away, or to keep or give away, at levinforhillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. A couple of quick things as we bring the program to a close. I want to get DeSantis back on here, Mr. Producer. I was in Florida over the weekend, my wife and I, visiting my parents. And this guy, Adam Putnam, is so loaded up with sugar special interest money and other special interest money, he's running TV ad after TV ad after TV ad after TV ad, calling himself the conservative Republican in the race. He's no conservative Republican. This guy was elected to the, to the Florida Assembly at the age of 22. Then he's elected to the United States House at the age of 26. Then he decides he wants to be governor. He runs for agriculture secretary of Florida because he knows that's the jumping board from which to become governor because he makes all these special connections with agribusiness, particularly sugar. DeSantis, who has stood firm on national security, firm on border security, firm on our foreign policy, is a conservative is a real conservative running for governor of that state. And this is what I mean. We have to be very careful, focused, but we need to get involved in some of these races. This guy Putnam is a fraud. He was no big-time conservative in the House of Representatives. Most of you have never heard of him before. He was in number five in the, lane, in the, in the chain of leadership. One of the rhino leaders. Now he's running around. Spending money, and this is how we get these people in the Senate, in governorships, in Congress. They run as conservatives, and they rule as sellouts. And I was disgusted by all these. It was just endless. I said, where the hell is this guy getting all this money from? So let's get Ron DeSantis on here. That's number one. Number two, Joy Reid, I'll say it since nobody else will. You are a serial liar. 
You fit perfectly in MSNBC and NBC. You are a serial liar. You're a disgrace. You should admit the things you did, apologize, and be done with it. You sound like a fool. And then, be clear. The president obstructed nothing. The president committed no crime. Just remember. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. God bless you. God bless you, the greatest audience of audiences. And I'll see you tomorrow. Be well.